Sean. You listen to me. I got exactly what you asked for. Did you want something else? So if there was a misunderstanding, I will fix it. I can get it. Whatever you want. Two. Listen. Talk to me. We, we can talk. Like gentlemen. Three. for this. I could help you. The way you helped me on the airplane? That way? You put the gun down. I'm not talking to you like this. That's your choice. Four. The rabbit's foot's in Paris. You want to know where in Paris? Then let her go. Because you will it's never... It's not in Paris. Five. You kill her, you do this, you get nothing. Are you listening to me? The only way you're gonna get what you want is for you to- No, 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 no. You think I'm playing? You don't think I'll do it? Where is it? Where the hell is it? Look at me. Where the hell is it? Look at me, stay with me. Seven! Seven! I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you. I swear to God, I'm gonna kill you. Eight! Don't do this. Just let her go. I promise you. I promise you. I can figure out how to get whatever you Nine. want. Nine! Listen to me, listen to me. I want to help you. I want to help you get whatever you want. But you got to do what's right. What you know is right. No. 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 Ten. Look at that! There's those little piggies. Of course, pigs living by the woods have to be careful. Ooh. You know, their silly song always makes me laugh. <laughs> but they should be looking out for the big bad wolf.
See, I told you what would happen when that big wolf came around. Only bricks and stones are wolfproof. Now, at last, you're safe and sound. Hello, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, welcome, whenever you're listening to this, uh, this is episode 52 of Dude and the Monkey podcast, I am Mark Foster, and as ever I'm joined by my co-host, Ian Loring, hi guys. Uh, we are back this week, um, and we're going to be looking at Quentin Tarantino's favourite film of 2013, according to the poster, uh, Big Bad Wolves, um, we're also going to be continuing our Michael chimino film. Uh, with his epic Heaven's Gate, uh, we're going to look at some 101 new, answer some uh, Twitter questions, and there's actually some trailers to chat, isn't there, Ian? Yes, yes, at last. Uh, yes, um, so um, you can get in touch with us uh, at dudeandamonkey at gmail.com uh, or at dudefors at Ian Loring or at dudeandamonkey on Twitter. Um Ian, have you got anything else to add, or should we get into this shit? No, let's let's do this. We are again under a bit of a time limit, so uh, let's get on. Cool, um, Ian. Um, I'm actually getting an answer this time uh, for the first time. Yeah. I would say about a month. Ian, what trailers have you been watching? Okay, so you know, obviously Super Bowl, um, which was the uh, I, I think pretty much all the trailers that I watched. I'm just actually trying to think now if there were literally any others. Oh yeah, no, there's the um, teaser trailer for the Rover, which is the new film by uh, David Michaud, who um, brought us Animal Kingdom a couple of years back. Not much to the teaser, but um, moody. Yes, very so, moody. Yeah. So, yeah, that's cool. And I, I believe it's set in a post-apocalyptic future, so that's absolutely fine. Um, Red Band trailer for A Million Ways to Die in the West, which, sorry, I thought it was funny. Yeah, no, do you know um, what? Yeah, completely agree with you. I laughed a lot. Yeah, the, 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 the bit with the ice at the start where he's talking about how they imported the ice and then it just crushes the guy. That's fine by me. In the end of the day, Seth MacFarlane is Seth MacFarlane. You're not going to get anything that's going to particularly surprise you coming from him. But in his wheelhouse, he's pretty fucking solid in his wheelhouse. And at least he's kind of pushing himself with the concept and with the visuals here. So uh, no problems with that trailer whatsoever, I must say. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think the in the end of the day, he doesn't seem like he's part of that era but then he is positioned as being the outsider in the film so i I, you know i'm absolutely fine with it uh then on to super bowl stuff um pompeii looks like a fairly generic action adventure but to be honest i've actually kind of been all right with paul ws anderson's last couple of films um i thought the last resident evil was fucking batshit in just a, we know this is tripe, so we're just going to amp the ludicrousness. And uh, I actually kind of enjoyed the Three Musketeers, so hey. Um, but yeah, Pompeii, I'm not going to be seeing it in the cinema, but I'll happily watch it on Netflix. Uh, Transformers Age of Extinction. Um, 
it just I've liked the Super Bowl spots for the Transformers films so far. But this one, it just kind of felt like it just kind of plumped on the screen. <laughs> just the, the 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 way it kind of seemed to start kind of like mid scene with just like Wahlberg telling his girl his daughter to run or stay back or whatever it was. And it just I don't know, it it, it just felt a bit like it, it was just kind of like tossed off like it was part of a larger trailer like like more it wasn't really a, a trailer or a teaser it was just a bit of a clip yeah yeah like a bit of a clip with a few random shots yeah but the clip itself wasn't that exciting yeah. so yeah really i i don't see how anyone gets pumped over that apart from I know some people have been going nuts over the um, the Dino Bots or whatever they're called, and yeah, I, I you know, it, it, it is what it is. It looks like this is going to please Transformers fans more than the last couple of films have, and good on it for that. Um, if there's nothing else out the week it's out, which there probably won't be, then I probably will end up seeing it. Um, I'm not particularly interested, um, but. You know, we'll see. I, I liked Pain and Gain, but this just kind of looks like more of the same. So, hey, um, Amazing Spider-Man Two. Uh, I saw the like the two parts of the Super Bowl TV spot. Um, I am. I know it's uh, an oft-repeated worry, but I am worried about the number of villains. Um, I know Rhino is only supposed to be in it in the first ten, fifteen minutes or so, but you know, you've got to deal with Electro. And you've got to deal with what looks like Hobgoblin. It does look like Dane DeHaan's going to be getting some flying time. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a specific shot in that trailer where it, you, it is him. It's Hobgoblin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's no way that's going to be Chris Cooper as Green Goblin. No. Like, there, there's there's no way. So, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sort of looking forward to Amazing Spider-Man 2 just because it, it almost feels like the underdog. Like the the one no one's really expecting much from, and um, I, I I like I like Amazing Spider Man. I know you do too, yeah. and um, I, I, I just yeah. I think the casting, Sorry, the God. casting on it is is good as well. It'll be interesting to see what Jamie Fox can do with that kind of role, and Dane DeHaan. You know, as I I think that's a, a genius bit of casting. Yeah, I just I am a little worried that the film's going to rush through a lot of material. Mm. Um, and it's gonna the way they're franchising it at the moment like they've already announced the sinister six film and the venom film and two sequels to uh, two more sequels you know it kind of feels like by the end of the film we're just gonna have an awful lot of stuff left hanging yeah and that i it's the franchisement uh like uh, of this kind of stuff it is it is bothering me, but we'll wait and see see the finished product. But at least with Marvel films, they hint they do point to larger things, but they do tell their story in the one film. I'm a little worried this isn't, but you know we'll see. Um, Need for Speed, um, which I'm still looking forward to. I like the idea of it being fuck all CG, and like I was reading this feature in Empire about Need for Speed, and they were saying that um, it is kind of the guys actually behind the wheel like in 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 the shots and whatnot but what they did was they had somebody above the car like sat on top of the car actually driving the car 
right. but it meant that you could act, you could actually get the shots of them like of the guys actually in the car doing like these speeds and just like when they're turning you can see their bodies kind of like moving into the turn and whatnot like that that's interesting to me um and I, I thought I thought the the spot was perfectly all right I'm not expecting much with Need for Speed but hey uh, Muppets Most Wanted fun spot you know it, the, the 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 irreverent sense of humor is still fully intact and um, good for it and the trailer for Captain America the Winter Soldier which I think looks really fucking good done right uh, I'll, I'll I'll rifle through mine as well because uh, I've got a few. Um... I mean, Spider-Man, which you spoke about, uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I have some reservations, like uh, you were saying yourself. Uh, again, the Transformers one felt more like a couple of clips than anything actually there. Um, watch the trailer for Enemy, which is the Jake Gyllenhaal film oh, from the that, yeah. uh, director of Prisoners. Um, looks fucking sinister as fuck. Um, oh, yeah? Nice. Very excited. It, it, it's a... Jake Gyllenhaal meets um, Jake Gyllenhaal um, in some kind of weird doppelganger kind of thing, but you're not really sure whether or not they're twins or whatever. It's a good trailer, a very good trailer. Um, Million Ways to Die in the West, uh, again, I was the same as you. I, I laughed plenty during the Red Band trailer. Um, I wasn't a massive fan of Ted, but I still watched this and thought, you know what, yeah, I, I, I can get I can get behind that. Um uh, Interesting that it's Seth MacFarlane doing something where he is actually being Seth MacFarlane rather than just a voice in it. Uh, and as well, you know, he's not just sitting back. Uh, he's doing something with a bit more scope as a director. Um, so why not? Uh, the trailer for Under the Skin. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, very intrigued well, by this. Looks like it could be super creepy. Um, like the fact that Scarlett Johansson isn't just doing, you know, very sort of generic performance pieces. She's still an interesting actress. Um, Three Days to Kill. Um, Looks like it might be a fairly sort of generic Liam Neeson was busy, so we got Kevin Costner film. Um, (laughs) And it's a fucking terrible trailer. Um, But looks like it might be one of those ones where terrible trailer could be a half-decent film. Uh, the trailer for Breathe In, um, which is the Guy Pearce one, um, looks alright, but... Which it, it fucking has been out in the US for bloody ages. Yeah. Uh, but it lo- like, that, that's weird. Looks like it could, like, like, you could be watching it going, God, this is, this is a really serious film. <laughs> I fucking I, I it's from the director of Light Crazy, yeah. which I you, just you hated, did you? not go, get on with at all. Yeah. So I've got no interest in it. It looks like it could be a little bit like it's taking itself way too serious. Um yeah, okay. trailer for the rover, again the same as you. Um I adored Animal Kingdom. This looks very John Hillcott. Um so yeah, I'm very up for that. Um and uh, the trailer for Adult World, which stars John Cusack and Emma Roberts, and it looks shite. Shocker. Yeah, yeah, it looks really fucking awful. Uh, so that's it. Um, there was a lot, I think, you know, actually with the Super Bowl spots, uh, we got quite a lot this week. I think now 
we'll get back into the trickle flow of sort of general trailers. We'll start getting the, you know, the early sort of spring trailers will start coming out now. Mm. Um, so, right, cool. So that was uh, an actual trailer talk. We actually managed to get some trailers in there. Um, mm. So we're going to play a trailer for um, Big Bad Wolves and then we're going to get into our thoughts on it um, because this is one that I think, Ian, you might have quite a lot to say about this one. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, so here's the trailer for Big Bad Wolves. If you wander off too far, my love will be a the trailer for Big Bad Wolves which uh, as everyone keeps on reminding me uh, Quentin Tarantino said it was the best film of the year uh, can't actually find anywhere where he said that but apparently he did um, yeah it was kind of all over the um, the internet at the time that he he, he said it at some, at some film festival alright um, was it was that before or after he made his list of the best films of the year and after he kind of amended ah, it ah cool um it's uh, and it's really um, kind of thriller slash horror slash comedy. Uh, I'd say um, from writing directing team uh, 
Aheron Kishels uh, and Nova um, Apicheda. Uh, it is about um, a, well, three guys, really, three, four guys. Um, you've got a cop, uh, Miki, who is investigating a serial killer uh, and paedophile who kills children by um, abducting them, drugging them, raping them, and then cutting off their heads. Um, he thinks that it is a school teacher called Drora, uh, who he is filmed trying to beat a confession out of, uh, and then things take a turn when the father of one of the victims decides to take things into his own hands. Um, remember, guys, we are all spoilers all the time, so we'll get into spoilers pretty quickly. Um, but then again, I think a lot of what we're going to go over is going to be in the trailers uh, anyway. Uh, Even though I will be bringing up something stuff at the end. Yes, um, yeah. but remember, guys, we are all spoilers all the time. Um, so, Ian, uh, what did you think of Big Bad Wolves? Okay, yeah, I think, it, it, did you say that this is on VO on demand in the US yes, at the it moment is, as yeah, well? Yes, so... it's, on, it's on VOD in the US. Yeah, so if you've got a US iTunes account and you're in the UK and you manage to wangle that, you can um, you can legally, well, I suppose kind of sort of legally uh, uh, watch it. You can grey so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean, at least you can pay for it. And, you know, I don't think the filmmakers are going to come at you or anything for doing that. Um, so, yeah, Big Bad Wolves. Um, I mean, I will say, I, I was looking forward to this because um, Rabies... The, the director's previous um, effort was a film that I fell asleep through during Fright Fest because it was um, during a particularly drunken was that, night. Was, yeah, was that that film? No, that wasn't that film. Ah. But it, this was this was like a five o'clock in the evening screening. That that film where that incident happened was like eleven p.m. All ah, right, fair enough. So it was like five p.m. rabies, and then I went to. I went to the pub and Jordan had somehow found himself sitting with um, uh, Lucky McKee, Ty West and Larry Fessenden. So then I, we ended up just drinking with them for a few hours, which was surreal. And then I tottered off to the 11 o'clock screening where the incident happened. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I... I I, I kind of felt bad because I'd always been meaning to give rabies another shot so, as such. Um, so um, I went to Big Bad Wolves rather excited, you know, and, um, uh, you know, watched it on my, my telly, 5.1 surround sound, you know, awesomeness. And, uh, yeah, I rather enjoyed it, I must say. Um, it's got issues, even though in talking about those issues, I think it actually makes the film more interesting that you that there there is scope to talk about the film in these kinds of ways anyway there's an awful lot of stuff that you can read into the film and have conversations about after uh but on the face of it 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 somehow manages to be funny while dealing with pitch black subject matter uh the performances from the from the lead guys are all very very solid all intensely believable and uh make make the film much stronger than it could have otherwise been i mean i i think it's a very 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 good follow-up from these guys i'm not saying i'm not at all saying it's one of the best films of the year not at all but 
I think there's an awful lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. Um, I watched it, um, like you, uh, managed to watch it on my TV, um, which is nice. Uh, and um, I was, within like the first sort of five minutes, I knew that I was going to be enjoying this film and liking this film. It had a nice kind of tone to it and a nice kind of rhythm to it. And it, it, it seemed like it was going to be nasty, but not in a nasty way, if that makes any sense at all. Sure. Um, it's not like it could have been torture porn, yeah. but it's really not. Um, and so I like that. Um, it's it's always interesting watching a film from a country where you've not watched that many films from, and I've not watched that many Israeli films. Um, there's been a number that have come out in the past sort of five or six years that have been very good, um, and I've tried to catch quite a few of them. Um, so I mean, there's obvious kind of influence within the, within the film uh, that you pick up on but I did enjoy the tone of it I enjoyed the fact that there is some some great kind of purposeful comedy within the film uh, which helps does help kind of lighten the mood um, I think it got incredibly baggy in the middle um, I had some issues with the middle but overall yeah I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Big Bad Wolves um, it's I'd say that I had issues with it, but overall, I think it is a, a very, a very good film. To be honest, I don't think it's it's by any stretch of imagination. It, it, it would it have been one of my favourite films or my top films of two thousand and thirteen. Yeah, yeah, no, that's I I think that's totally fair. I mean, it's interesting you say about it being baggy because I hadn't thought that before. But there, there is, there, there is a sense that it, it does get in the middle a little bit before the guy's dad comes it is a bit he comes down tortures him a bit goes upstairs the other guy chats to him for a bit rinse repeat yeah it does it does seem like it's a little bit playing for time uh, at, at, at points during the middle um certainly I did, I did get that that kind of vibe from it yeah yeah no i, I yeah i think that's that's totally fair but I mean, considering how, you know, it, it's really primarily, I mean, especially the second half set in one location, it is great how much they actually do with the visuals, I think. There's there's an awful lot of kind of like, uh, of kind of tracking shots yeah. and, um, you know, the placement of the car- camera is always, um, is always interesting. Uh, and, and I mean, it, it's... It's something which I think belies its roots because it, I mean, from what I remember of Rabies, which wasn't much, this looks like this has got way more production value than that film. And, you know, fair enough. Um, but it does, it, I, I imagine there probably was more of a budget behind this one. And I think it does show on screen. Yeah, it, 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 look, it looks nice. I mean, it, it, the thing is, I think often when you get um, foreign cinema, is you quickly start to look at you know where where the influences come from and you know and often you know foreign cinema a lot of the time it you can falsely see um, a lot of Americanized cinema in it. Um, for instance, um, City of God. You know, there's a lot of Scorseseism in that, and the directors kind of they like that. Um, Whereas with Big Bad Wolves, I got um, more of the sense that the, the filmmakers um, weren't trying to ape on, but were taking a little bit of influence from more 
sort of the um, Asian cinema market and sort of Korean cinema got a, a lot of uh, sort of Kim Ji Woon stuff and, and Park Chan Wook stuff from the the way that they framed things and the way that there was a lot of kind of tracking shots and it was quite a moody film as well. And I mean, I mean, and also, also the juggling of tone. Yeah, I mean that's a very South Korean. Yeah, thing. exactly. Uh, even to the point of where the where you get into one of the end shots where the the father's digging, um, and it's in that you know the abandoned greenhouse there. That very much reminded me of uh, a certain scene in I Saw the Devil, mm-hmm. uh, which it which looks which to my the, in my brain remember it looked very much like that. I might go back and watch I Saw the Devil and go, yeah, I don't like anything like that. But it did remind me of that, and that's not a bad thing to say that it, it did it did have those kind of tropes to it, which I thought was really interesting, and you know it, it handled itself very well within that. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It's um, it, I, I, and yeah, I mean, it never, it doesn't really ever feel like it's um, it, it, it it's outright ripping other other things off or anything like that. It still feels like it, its own thing, and I think maybe part of that is just the fact that we haven't had that many Israeli like genre films. Mm. You know, I mean, this and rabies are probably the only two I fucking know of. Um, so I mean, like, it it, it is influenced by that culture and the, the look i mean the look of the place you know it, it's um i mean i was um i was talking to um uh, on, on twitter i was having a mammoth discussion with um uh gary mcconaughey um who used to write previously with film and and um anton patel who uh writes for sight and sound and um like uh, anton was saying about just how much backstory of Israeli kind of history and like Israeli men like have like basically having to be men and the history of kind of eye for an eye Mm. in 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 that society it's um I mean I I don't know I, I think it gives the film a bit more of a unique flavor you know and visually it may it may crib from the um from the Asian side of the market, but I think what it's what it's saying and in its characters, even though I mean, like the, I think the characters are very just masculine and well, not masculine, but kind of like men, but in a, a, a state of emotional adolescence, uh, which I think is quite universal yeah. as well. So I mean, it's I think you could read into it stuff about the local history if you know the local history, but also just the the general men being men and re- like setting themselves on a course and not having anything dissuade them. Yeah, I assume you mean that there's there's a couple of levels to it. Not knowing, um, not having a, a a good understanding of um, Israeli politics and Israeli you know modern Israeli history um, isn't going to take away from you know the actual core essence of the film. You know, it is quite a universal idea. Um, and it, it does play out quite well like that. I, I like the way as well that it doesn't go, it, it doesn't go too far into uh, the whole torture element of it. Um, it's there and it happens, but it's not. It, it, it's just something that happens, and you know there are. It it wasn't as, it didn't go for a shock effect as as much as I 
suspected it might do within it. You know, the moments happen very quickly and they're not sort of focused upon and, you know, shown as being the central part of the screen is a finger snapping or a toenail being ripped off or anything like that. You see them happen, but not in a close-up, look at this, look what's happening here kind of way. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's that's wise because, you know, you, you, you think of the, the more notable horror films of the last few years and, like, people saying about how, how, how much their, you know, kind of backstory there is to them and how much intellectual stuff there is thinking of them. But you look at a film like Martyrs where, you know, people are saying, oh, it brings in elements of this and this and it's asking questions. And it's like, OK, what's your one defining um, uh, memory of Martyrs? Oh, it was the shot with the woman with her skin all off, you know, or, uh, you know, or it was this bit of torture. or It was this bit of violence. It was the family getting guns down at the start or whatever. You know, it's. It, I, it, whereas I think these guys who, who have made this film maybe understand that if you're going to have people maybe take horror seriously, then yes, have the, the gory imagery and whatnot, but don't dwell on it and don't use that to make a point. Use the dialogue, use the atmosphere, use the situation. And that is, you know, I think that is grown up horror. Yes, have the, have the violence, but don't go, you know, so wallowing in extreme that people are only principally going to remember the violence and people who aren't fans of horror aren't going to take the film seriously because it's got that stuff in. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I think they're very wise with what they do with Big Bad Wolves. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's one of those things I think that, that you, you could quite easily recommend this to somebody who maybe isn't a, a conventional horror fan. Certainly. Quite, exactly. It, it's not... It is not easily definable as being a horror film. Um, you could you, you could kind of twist it one way and call it you know a thriller rather than a horror film. Um, there are a lot of horror elements to it, and I would say that it, it, it could quite easily be considered a horror film. But it, it, it's not um, to the extent of something. Um, just because I watched it earlier this week, uh, you are next. Which is definitively a horror film. Yeah, no, absolutely. It just, I, you know, I look at films like, um, like Aftershock, which was my worst film of last year by by a distance, and that's in a year where Argento's Dracula was in contention as well. But, and, and I just think of how some horror filmmakers seem to be adolescents. You know, they they just seem to be emotionally stunted. I mean, Nicholas Lopez, who directed Aftershock appears to have the mindset of a 12-year-old boy who can't stop masturbating. Uh, whereas I look at Big Bad Wolves and I just think these guys have got a head on their shoulders. They know how to push horror fans' buttons, but you know they, they also know how to actually craft a legitimately good film. And I, you know the last couple of years that I had been to Fright Fest, I was watching films where I was just thinking, you know, people seem to think poorly these filmmakers who say they're horror fans seem to think poorly of horror fans yeah and hopefully something like big bad wolves it kind of points to a direction where maybe 
as horror gets more pushed to the margins of like of mainstream exhibition, like not a lot of horror films actually get big screen releases these days and in wide release. Maybe as more of them go to VOD, maybe they'll be allowed to be more mature again. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it, horror's gone through a little bit of a... It, it's gone back through a peak in the past sort of 10 years where it's become more popular or more recognised than it has done um, since probably the, you know, probably since, what, you'd say the mid-80s um, to that extent. And I think that the problem with that is, is it ends up, you end up flooding the market. And I think that's what we've had a little bit to an extent. And then you end up, you get certain people who become champions of the horror world. And often they, they kind of don't deserve it. It's just they happen to have struck a chord with a certain film. And, and they're very good at publicising yeah, themselves. Um, and, you know, I understand that, that apparently Eli Roth is a very nice guy, but, you know, he's now... He, he almost is like a face of horror, despite the fact that he's only directed a couple of films. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm intrigued by the Green Inferno. I'm intrigued to see what he's actually got to say himself these days. Yeah. But, um, sorry, go on. But yeah, I think that, like you say, with, with Big Bad Wars, there's, it does feel like when, it, it, at no point does it feel like we're, we're playing around in that that kind of frat boy world that horror's kind of been infected with in the past sort of 10 years. Yeah, not once. And I mean, even with like the most juvenile bit of the film, which is the bit where he's saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do exactly what you did to these girls. And then they're they're having a discussion about like, well, you know, there's an awful lot of holes you'd have to fuck. You know, it it just, as well as actually being quite, you know, quite funny and quite a light moment in quite a tense situation. I mean, it also kind of points out how these guys are, 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 again, just like emotionally stunted, just like the thing that they're bothered about is, you know, in in all of this situation, the thing the guy's bothered about is, shit, well, I don't want to fuck him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, the fact that it actually says something about the the characters as well as being funny, you know, it's... um, it, it, it's you know it is well handled. Hmm. I mean, and like you said, there is some great little sort of moments of comedy. I mean, the bit with the with the police um, commissioner, and he's got his it's bring your child into work there. Oh yeah. And so yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's basically giving uh, Mickey um, shit and giving it a talking down, and his sons just sat there either repeating bits or nodding at him, and. Um, your um, Ash Kanzazi, um, who uh, plays Miki, you know his facial expressions at that point are brilliant because he keeps kind of looking at the kid and it's saying, yeah. "Fucking really, <laughs> you know, the, I, I can't, I can't even have a go at this kid." <laughs> uh, I, I, I was laughing my ass off at that bit. It was, it was great. Um, right, uh, question then to put to you. Um, and remember, guys, we're all spoilers all the time. The big sort of whole thing within the film is uh, that they are convinced that um, this guy has done it. This teach, school teacher, Drara, has, has, is the, the guy who has kidnapped these children, raped them and cut their heads off. Um, and, you know, the whole kind of flow of the film is, are they right or are they, have they got the wrong guy? What did you think throughout the entire film? 
did, did it take you did it take you on those places or did you either a did you know um what the outcome was going to be or did it get you thinking well have they or have they got the right guy i thought through the film what the film was going to do was it was not going to tell us it i thought it was going to leave us in the dark that that guy was going to die and we were never going to find out. And I was happy with that. And when it was kind of revealed that the policeman's kid had gone missing and then the guy died and then the other guy kills him, you know, and then and he's just like, what have you done? You know, I was thinking that's a fucking great ending. That is a, you know, that is chilling and, you know, really creepy. And like, they just had the, like, Oh, and like, just who knows? So, in the context of my watching the film and in terms of the narrative, when you get the very last scene, which reveals that actually, yeah, it was him all along, I was annoyed, to be honest, that the film actually gave us an answer. Um, and also, it troubled me because you can have. You can you can debate the morality all day long, but in the end of the day, these big bad wolves' in, instincts were right, and that kind of weirds me out in terms of what the film is actually saying. And I don't think it I don't think it's saying that eye for an eye vengeance is the way to go. Yeah. Um, I, it's like in in talking to Anton, it, it like. I think, it, you know, I my mind has been swayed slightly in that I think it's more question. It is more questioning the audience. And what were you thinking? And now you've been presented with this resolution. How does that make you feel about how you've interpreted the film? Mm. And I, I think that is a very interesting way of looking at it. But it, I, I, I wish that we didn't know. Personally, I mean, what what do you think? Um, I thought pretty much all the way through it that he was going to be, that he was going to be the killer. What? Because the film kind of goes out its way to say it's not him, it's not him, it's not him. Yeah. Look at him denying it. He's denying it. it. Like he's denying it to other people. It's not him. It's not him. It's not him. Oh, it's him. Yeah, I, th- I think it was it. The, the had it. I think the logical way, uh, my brain was looking at it in, in pretty far too logical way of going, well, because I, I, I thought that there was, I never had the idea that they'd, they'd leave this without a resolution. Maybe if I, if that was in my brain, I, I would have thought differently, but it, it wasn't. I, I, for some reason, I just assumed there would be a resolution to it. And I thought, well, if you go through all of this and um, it isn't him, then... It, it wouldn't. It, it would have. Wouldn't have felt right. Whereas if they go through all this, it and it is him. It, it feels the, the the film makes sense. But there's obviously there's going to be something that is going to that is going to make it so that what they've done is it, it is kind of highlighted how wrong it is, and that's that's what happened. And I think that worked quite well in the film. But I I never got the oh. It might not be him. I, I never, I, I never just got that. I always thought, well, yeah, it's clearly him. I mean, that that's that's interesting. I mean, the, the thing is, like, the only way in which 
it's kind of an unhappy end. I mean, to be honest, for two out of the three characters, it's kind of a happy ending. Because, yeah, all right, you know, that, that, that policeman, you know, his life is fucked now. Mm. But these two guys, the, the, the dad and the granddad, they got the guy who killed the daughter and they killed him. Mm. They did what they wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I, I mean that just that's a weird. I don't know that that leaves me feeling uneasy, and maybe that's the point. I think I but, think that, that that probably is entirely the point. Certainly, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which you know, which, which is which is fair enough, but it, it's. I don't know. It's it, I, it, it troubles me, and the, the, the I, again, which you know is the point. But it did kind of. It was just the fact that it was literally in the last thirty seconds, and I, I just felt like the film had wrapped up. And maybe that was more my engagement with the film, and maybe on a rewatch, it would I I it, I would be more comfortable with that. But for now, it it left me fe- feeling a bit deflated because. I like films that end ambiguously. Yeah. Like my, like I get. I mean, like my one of my problems with Prisoners, which is quite a similar film in a number of ways. Yeah. Uh, actually, a very similar film. Um, it, you know, the ending of Prisoners, where you know the the somebody notices something. I will say, just in case people haven't seen Prisoners who are listening to this, you know, that annoyed me as well. You know, and I, I, I mean it. The, but the thing is, unlike prisoners where i kind of feel like maybe that was ever so slightly forced on the filmmakers i think there is a greater point at work here but that's only in talking to people about the film and not through my own initial reaction but that's 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 fine cool i it just it's still it's still i don't know it it it, there's an intangible thing where i'm just not happy with the end yeah, just yeah. That I I just I'm annoyed that we got an answer because the thing is, my reading of the film, I was thinking if we didn't ever find out, it would somehow be more chilling because in the back of their minds, it would always be, did we get the right guy? And also, like in in the end of the day, the copper who was f- pretty firm in the belief that it wasn't him would have you know i don't know like he would have been chasing that person forever and yet that person was the first person he caught you know it just that to me i don't know it feels like a a more disturbing ending yeah than than the actual ending that than the actual ending and that that's and i mean i'm not trying to say oh i could make this film better blah 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 it just I felt like the film was taking me in that direction, and I was happy with that. Yeah. Um, have we got much else to say on Big Bad Wolves? No, no, not really. I mean, it's um, it, I mean, it's a very, very, very good film. Yeah. I mean, again, like like Prisoners, which was a very, very, very good film. But that film, like the last quarter of it, was kind of bobbins, whereas the last like one percent of this one, I wasn't very happy with. So. You know, I, I it's it's definitely not shit. Um, it won't be, apart from maybe top horrors of the year, it won't be near any of my top of the year lists. But I'm glad I wasn't disappointed. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely not shit. I, 
it's got a nice sort of sinister tone. Um, it's surprisingly enjoyable to watch for the type of film it is. Um, I, I, actually, I had issues with, I thought it dragged a little bit in the middle, but I still still really liked it, certainly, yeah. Very cool. Cool, right, so we're going to give you some promos for the podcast that we uh, like, uh, and then we shall get back in with someone old and someone new. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. For sake, the minute shit, you'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I can handle anything. Action. Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. And romance. Now, he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such easy prey. Noel Miller presents... You're the problem, you little shit! The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Join me, Noel Miller, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures of VHS or visit adventuresofvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and hard cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really It's isn't. not visually striking. No. no just, just getting confirmation. It's just in That's the third time, though. I mean, I must, this is on. You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. He oh. wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody. <laughs> he looks like somebody who can keep a secret. Hi, I'm Sarah from GorePress.com, and along with my co-host Phil, we present the GorePress Gorecast. But Sarah, what is the GorePress Gorecast? Well, Phil, I'm glad you asked. It's a weekly show in which we review horror movies, discuss our love for the genre, and generally just blunder through, showcasing our startling ineptitude at podcasting. Hello, and welcome to another... Oh, for fuck's sake! (laughs) No, that is not helping! That sounds ridiculously professional. That can't be all we do, can it? It certainly isn't. We also try and talk a little bit about what we've watched recently, and selflessly plumb the depths of B-Movie Hell so we can inform you, our loyal listeners, about what to watch and what to avoid. Well, that just sounds dandy. Where could I find such a podcast? Well, Phil, you can subscribe to us by searching for the new Gorepress Gorecast in iTunes, or you can find us at gorepress.com.
I've got so much knowledge about this film. Right, Ian, uh, do you want to start us off with your uh, one old or one new? Yeah, okay, so I'll, uh, I'll talk about my one new first. Uh, this is another film which is on VOD in the US. Um, Magnet releasing are treating us at the moment, it would seem, for the start of the year, and long may it continue. And uh, this is, just getting the director up now. Um, well, this is Grand Piano, which is directed by a man by the name of Eugenio Mira. Uh, so, yes, um, stars Elijah Woods, uh, John Cusack, Tamsin uh, Edgerton and um, Alex Winter. Um, and yeah, this is a bit of a treat. Have you seen this? I've not, no. Do you know, do you know anything about this? Little, but go. Right, you are going to be cream dream supreme for this. Nice. Uh, just trust me. Like, almost like if you've got time to watch a film tonight, stick on Grand Piano because you're going to go mental for it. Oh, nice. Right. Um, story is... Um, Elijah Wood is a concert pianist who, uh, well, like kind of an ex-one, he's getting back in the game after um, fluffing a really, really complicated piece by his long-term kind of um, teacher and mentor. He, uh, his mentor has now died, and um, he, is, he is playing this concert using his mentor's grand piano. Um, he's on stage... Uh, he's got his uh, sheet music and he's playing and he turns the page and there's some writing in red basically saying, basically telling him that if he fluffs up the piece at all, he's going to be killed. That there's uh, a man with a gun in the audience uh, with a red kind of tracking dot thing on him. And he's got to do exactly what this person says and play the piece without fucking it up or that's it. He's going to be shot in the head on stage. No. How's that for high concept? <laughs> yes. So, it, um, and the person, um, and, and basically uh, he, uh, Elijah Wood's character during a break, he gets, he, he gets this like earpiece uh, he's instructed to get this earpiece. And who's giving him these instructions and being all menacing? It's John Cusack. Yes. So, um, right, Grand Piano. A lot of people have been saying this, but it's absolutely true, that Grand Piano is basically De Palma in his prime. Ooh. And it really, really, really is. This feels like if this film was in the 80s, De Palma would have directed it shot for shot. <laughs> and, and it's fucking... It's pretty awesome. Um, the, the, there are... I mean, there, there's split screen. Uh, I swear to fucking Christ, there's like a split diapter um, at, one, at a couple of points. So, like, you've got half the screen is, is like, on one thing and the other half is kind of zo impossibly zooming in on something else but it kind of looks like it's in the same frame. Um, the Palmer uses that quite a lot, uh, most notably for me anyway, in, in um, Blowout. Um, uh, there's 
I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're, there's split screen shots where you know there, there's a killing, uh, and then that it kind of turns into the music that's being played, and then that turns into the screaming of a child. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's it's mucking around visually and orally. I mean, there's this, and and though the, the the cinematography just completely gets you in Elijah Wood's character's head, there is a moment in there where the screen just goes red, and it's like it's just Elijah Wood bathed in red, and it does this like 360 around him all in red, and it, it and it just it it, it, it like I said, it's cream dream supreme, oh. you know. And it's also, it's 78 minutes before credits. The film's 90 minutes long, 12 minutes of it are credits. Um, it fuck it, it just, it gets in and it, it, it tells its story and it gets out. The ending is perfect. The idea of why Cusack's character is so insistent on him playing this piece so perfectly it's ridiculous, but it's great. <laughs> and you—you're you, just like you won't—you won't guess the reason at all. And when it happens, it's just like that's fucking ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> you know, I—I I, I watched this at like midnight on Saturday, and I was like the cat who got the cream. It is great, great, great fun. And I mean, it is—it is a bit slight. And I wouldn't give it a five out of five just because it, it is a bit slight. There, there are a couple of moments where, you know, you just know someone's going to die and it's just kind of waiting for it to happen, which does happen with the Palmer as well. Mm. You know, like you, there are, but the joy is in the, in, in the visual and oral storytelling. And like I said, I mean, fuck, it's 78 minutes long. Um, Elijah Wood is very, very, very good. Um, Alex Winter's actually pretty fucking solid. And uh, John Cusack's good as well. So, um, Mark, if you've got 78 minutes spare, get it watched tonight. I, I will certainly see what I can do. I'll be watching at some point this week, I can assure you, is what I'll say. You will fucking jizz. All over it. You you are gonna love it, I'll, and it just. I look forward to talking about it on oh, next show without question. It, yeah, it's oh, it's just it's really 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 fun, and I'm really looking forward to owning it on Blu-ray. I must say. Ah, cool. I look forward to catching that. Like I say, I'm gonna try and catch it tonight, uh, but I'll I'll have watched it by the next show without without nice. a doubt. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna throw uh, I'm gonna throw my uh, one new out there as well. Actually, to be honest. I've uh, watched, only watched two new things uh, this week. I've not watched an awful lot. I've had limited time this week, but I've managed to catch a few things. Um, quickly, uh, just quickly, I watched uh, Your Next, uh, the um, horror film from some guy. I can't remember who it was now. Uh, Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard, yeah. Uh, that's it. Um, if the entire film was as good as the last 20 minutes, I'd have really liked it but there was too much just hysterical shouting for the first half an hour that really bugged me. Um, it's not a total bust, but I, I, I was felt a little bit disappointed that it wasn't better. Um, but the other one I'll talk about is a, a film which a lot of people had told me was terrible, um, and a lot of people have told me it was great, and it was another film from last year. Uh, it's... Uh, 
Joseph Kaczynski's uh, Oblivion. Oh. Um, I'm um, not. I'm not a huge uh, sci-fi fan, but also uh, I'm not an idiot, so I'm not going to say I don't like sci-fi because saying you don't like any one genre is frankly retarded. Um, so I sort of sat down to give it a go. Um, watched it with Becky and Isabel uh, on a Saturday afternoon. Um, I, as I said before on a podcast, um, I'm an unashamed um, Tom Cruise fan. Um, so was you know was looking forward to getting into it. Um, Oblivion is um, it, it certainly takes um, its influence from a number of different um, pre-existing sci-fi films that are out there. Uh, it is, however, based upon a graphic novel, I think. Uh, I think it basically Joseph Kaczynski wrote the graphic novel, graphic novel which I don't think has been published as a way of kind of justifying actually making the film. Ah, right, that that kind of makes sense. Um, and a lot of people seem to get quite snippy about the fact that it, it is basically just a, a mixture of three or four other um, sci-fi films. Um which I'll be honest uh, didn't bother me at all because Oblivion looks really nice. It is, it's over two hours long, but it, it has a nice pace to it. Um, Tom Cruise is in you know proper Tom Cruise form in it, uh, and uh, Andrea Riseborough is is sort of great foil for that. Uh, again, I, I I'm starting to think that the the whole idea of when you say that people, you know, a lot of people say that Olga Kurlenko. Um, she never gets sort of meaty roles. She's always um, the girl in in things, and she's never the main girl in things. Um, with this, it, it was an incredibly generic um, character, uh, and I think it, it was quite a generic performance. Uh, not bad, but it was just it, it could have really have been played by anyone really. Um, but I'm not going to talk about it for too long because uh, I think we've got a, another film that we want, well, we want to kind of focus on a little bit more uh, in our Chimino Um But yeah, Oblivion, I I really enjoyed it. It's it's a proper good um, blockbuster. Uh, it like I say, it looks great. There's enough story there to keep you interested in it. It goes places that you maybe you're not. You know, you're expecting it to go, but it takes a different path to get there, uh, is what I'll say. Um, and it, it, it felt like a proper Tom Cruise movie. Yeah, no, I um, I, I, I quite liked um, Oblivion. Um, not as much second time round, I must say. Um, but it's very, very, very good looking. The mm. score by M83 is rather gorgeous in parts. Yeah. Uh, and the the action's solid. I mean, yeah, the story's derivative as fuck, as are a lot of the visuals, but I like the the barren wasteland of Earth and it basically being kind of like, sh- like Iceland, you know, yeah. and, and they just shot a load of Iceland and then kind of like composited landmarks and debris and stuff. I thought that was rather beautiful. Um, I like Joseph Kaczynski. Um, I... I, I I like his bag, and I, I I do think he's a bit cold as a filmmaker, but I like his 
technical side more than enough to kind of make up for that, I suppose. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think with with this, like you say, it is it is terribly um, derivative. But then again, um, you, you can you can often say that with a lot of mainstream um, genre picks, uh, often are quite derivative um, because they do pull out tropes uh, of certain films, and you know you can see. Um, things like um, Silent Running within this and, you know, Total Recall and things like that, you know, you, you can certainly pick those those out of it, um, as well as a whole host of other sci-fi films, but maybe that's more to do with the fact that, that sci-fi tropes are, are there and are used quite often. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, it, in the end of the day, I suppose originality in sci-fi is getting kind of harder and harder to, uh, to come by. Uh, and I mean, like the locations in themselves are, are something, uh, are something original, but when, I don't know when you've got shots that look as good as this. And with the kind of like the clean production design that you do have here, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm well up for it. Yeah, it, it does. It does certainly look great. And yeah, I, I've, I've actually been quite a fan of, of Kaczynski. I think he's getting, he seems to get a lot of shit for no real reason, really. Because he's made two really nice-looking films. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just uh, people seem to generally have a problem with Joseph Kaczynski, and um, I, I don't know why. I'd rather watch a blockbuster directed by him than by an awful lot of directors who make blockbusters every couple uh, every couple of years for sure. Hmm. I mean, for instance, um, you know, Kaczynski has made Oblivion, which is a you know, it's an original concept. It's not a remake. It's not a reboot or anything like that. It's an original concept of a film. And yes, it, it you know, it is quite derivative, like we said, of, of other sci-fi films. But then when you look at um, Len Wiseman made a remake of Total Recall, um, whilst also at the same time basically taking a visual look from Blade Runner. So he remade a film, made it look nothing like the original film, and made it look like a completely different sci-fi film. <laughs> so you know, yeah, that's good. It, 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 there is in no way at all any original ideas ever within that film. So, and this is a man who will get two hundred million to make his next movie, and Kaczynski might not because of the perceived underperforming of um, this film whereas I would much prefer to see this guy get given something with the visuals that he can bring rather than like you say others with the you know the terrible turgid shite that they'll bring to the screen uh, so that was I, oblivion. I 100% agree with that man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it, it, if someone's told you it's shit and it's derivative just say to them so does it look nice? Because if they go, not really, they're just lying. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so that was my uh, one new. Uh, Ian, one old. Okay, my one old. Um, only film, um, one old film I watched this week, and it kind of slightly inspired me weirdly to um, write an article for my first article for the um, the Verisay Film Magazine website, um, where I I basically talked about how I think there's still a place for Blu-ray and physical media uh, for various reasons, uh, but one particular one in the article, uh, for film fans. And 
the, the, the disc that kind of inspired me to actually write that, um, even though not not for the reasons that I actually got into in the article, but um, it was the... Um, article, by the way. The, oh, thank, thank you very much. much. Um, oh, cheers, man. Um, yeah, so uh, it was the, uh, the remastered Blu-ray of Robocop. Oh! So... Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, so um, we've got the the remake um, coming out on Friday, which I'm assuming we're reviewing next week. I would assume, yeah, yeah, I'll say so. Cool. Um, so yeah, we've got the remake coming out next week. So I thought I better get, uh, I better watch Robocop again. Uh, it's a film that I basically seem to be watching about once a year now, which is absolutely fine by me. Uh, I, I seem to watch Robocop quite often, um, and this new Blu-ray is absolutely gorgeous and. Um, it just going on a slight tangent, and I'll be. The thing is, you know, Robocop's Robocop. It's amazing, and everyone knows it's amazing. So I may as well talk around yeah, that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, well, not not definitely. The, 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 yeah, uh, the, the thing that the, the thing that I really really like about Blu-ray and where we are with Blu-ray at the moment is that studios are, even though it's basically because the new Robocop came out, studios are still making efforts to remaster films and give them in a format and a picture quality that people want what were and, and you know because they can make money from it you know i was happy to pay 12.95 for a remastered edition of a blu-ray that's been out for like five six years because they've actually put some effort in this time the first blu-ray of robocop looked like balls yeah this one looks fucking fantastic like like amazing. Is it, is it um, worth getting? Oh god, yeah. Oh, well, I'll have to get it. God, yeah. And, and it's the director's cut, which the uh, original UK blue I don't believe is. No. Um, yeah. So you know that that's reason enough in itself, and um, good extras on there as well, actually. Um, but yeah, uh, the the thing that worries me is when profit margins start going down, and you know, when streaming takes over completely. When you've got an older film like Robocop, or like, I mean, like, to be honest, like, films in the 90s might start starting to be getting as well, mm. where they could really do with a good lick of paint and money spent on a restoration, which it was with Robocop because they justified it by the fact that he would make money out of it. You know, when it comes to these films getting put out on Netflix in the future, you know, they're not going to get, a lot of them aren't going to get 4K remasters. You know, a lot of them aren't even going to be in 1080p HD. So you're not going to get the the, the the quality. And I think, as I argued in my article, I think it's going to be like labels like uh, Second Sight and like Arrow and like Criterion mm. who give a fuck and spend the time and know that they, you know, and they'll charge a fair price. But still, I think it probably in the future is going to be increasingly more and more, you know, as as demand goes down. But you're still going to get these labels putting this amount of work in. But it does it does worry me that studios who don't want to give the rights to some films aren't going to do the same for 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 a for a lot of films because they're not going to make any money out of it. No, I mean, I, and, absolutely. You know, companies like uh, Arrow and Second Sight and Criterion and Massive Cinema and people like that, they're making um, films for collectors. Um, studios don't give a shit about collectors. They they want yeah. they want films to be a consumable product. They want you to watch it 
um, possibly buy it on a demand service and then move on and then do the thing the same with the next one. They're not bothered about whether they're not bothered about the they're, they're not catering to film lovers. They're catering to film consumers. Yeah, and I mean that there was there was an interview with one of the um, the t- the head guys of Netflix. Um, I heard about this. Um, the, the 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 Dissolve dot com. They they do a really excellent podcast, and uh, they they were talking about um, uh, about this. That one uh, this head guy of Netflix was quoted as saying that Netflix don't give a fuck about extra features. You know, they're not going to put in the money. They're not going to give them the space. Uh, you know, uh, and that kind of leads into that kind of product thing that you were mentioning about that film is, and media in general is increasingly becoming. It's becoming more consumable and just consume, 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 get through one to the next one, get through one to the next one. Mm. And yeah, that's the thing. If physical me- media does die and if Criterion stopped doing physical media, then... I mean, hopefully, I don't know, they'd offer some sort of boutique on-demand service uh, where they'd still make these features. But in terms of making the money and being able to charge the $20, $25 or whatever, it it feels like we're at an apex and it kind of is slightly downhill from here for an awful lot of films. I think the likes of Arrow and Second Sight and Criterion and Masters of Cinema will go for years and years and years yet. But I think, you know, when my kid is 20 and if, like, through uh, hopefulness more than anything else, she's she's into films, there's not going to be readily nearly as much film education around. The films will be there, but the how, the what's, the why's the, yeah, the, won't be there. The, I mean, for instance, I'm looking at the back of my um, a film we're going to talk about um, shortly, um, the back of my uh, Heaven's Gate um, Blu-ray, uh, which is done by Second Sight. You know, it's not been it, it's not been done by United Artists, obviously, because they're um, now part of uh, a bigger company. They're now part of Universal. Well, they MGM. get this stuff released through MGM, yeah. and 20th Century Fox. Basically. Um, so you know, it's, it's not that you know Heaven's Gate is an entire film, but they've they've not been the ones. The big studios not been the ones to to do this. You know. Second Sight have done it, and you know there is you know there's Final Cut the documentary is on that Blu-ray, um, which is a it, it is whether or not you're interested in the film or not it, it that documentary is a fascinating look at um, how this film was made, but there's more surrounding that. It, there's, a, there's a bigger picture than just Heaven's Gate, the making of Heaven's Gate within that documentary. And then, in you know, I'm looking, uh, I also got uh, for £4 pounds, uh, the Akira Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing. Special features, nothing. This is Akira, this is an important movie. Nothing on the mm. Blu-ray. I've got a double mm. box DVD uh, on the top of my DVD shelf that's got eight hours of special features. I mean, you can't buy that DVD anymore. You can still buy this Blu-ray. You'll probably still be able to, in in 20 years' time, you'll probably still be able to download or whatever, Akira, and it still will be considered a important movie. But how are they going to watch the documentaries that I can watch on that DVD? 
exactly. It, it, yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, I don't know. The, I mean, the democratization of the internet and whatnot, where people can like upload this stuff and, and watch stuff online and whatnot, is great. But if the money is not there to pay people to actually do these, like make these materials, then unless you've got a bunch of people with an awful lot of time and making an awful lot of effort for not a lot of financial reward, then which I'm sure that there are plenty of people like. I mean, you look at um, Jamie Benning who does his um, filmumentaries, mm. you, you know, and I can't imagine he gets he gets paid anything for those. Um, I, I, he just does it for, for the love of it. You know, I, I mean, have you seen those? I, I've not, no. I'm gonna, I, I've been meaning to catch up with them for a while, though. Yeah, I mean, it, fanta- fantastic, fantastic stuff. Um, but a bit beyond enterprising folks like and amazing folks like him, it, 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 it I don't know, it... it that that material is just not going to be there. It might be there on YouTube. People might rip it and upload it and whatnot. But fresh material is not going to be there. Yeah. And, and and I mean that that you know that is a worry. Or at least. Uh, but then again, I mean if Criterion just, and, and Masters of Cinema and whatnot just keep going, then you know maybe it will just all move online. And it'll all be absolutely fine. But it just it is going to be more and more niche. But then again. You know, as as I think I argue in that article as well, if you've got people, if you've got the like specialist labels actually buying the rights and spending the money and making these materials themselves, then frankly, they're going to be better materials than you would have gotten from the studio if they'd released if they had released that title 10 years ago during the height of DVD. Mm. And to an extent, I think that, that certain filmmakers, etc., are going to be more willing to talk to, um, you know, specialist labels sometimes than they would be to talk to big studios. So, for instance, you know, you expect when Arrow released The Burbs later on this year that, you know, they might not get to talk to Tom Hanks about it. But you could see Joe Dante being the guy to go, oh, yeah, yeah, you, you know, I, I'm happy to talk about that. And, you know, it's, it, it, I think that there'll still be a medium for the foreseeable future, but I just think it'll be physical media will start to go more down the collector route rather than the, you know, the mass disposable um, Blu-rays. Yeah, yeah, no, which is, which which is, is fine by totally me. fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, quite, and I mean, I don't know, the the prices in the future worry me, but, um, mm. you know, it it, it 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 is what it is, and I suppose, like, vinyl these days, it's like 20 quid for an album or whatever, so if it's going to be 20 quid for a really, really good Blu-ray, then I, I suppose it probably is worth it. Yeah. And, I mean, fuck, I just got, um, I just got Michael Mann's Thief on Criterion Blu-ray for 25 quid. I'm happy to pay 25 quid. Yeah, that, that's it. You know, just that thing. You know, I mostly only buy steelbooks now uh, as, a, as yeah. a choice because because I, I can get my hands on Netflix. But if I see something, for instance, I got Akira because I saw it for £4 and I thought, you know what, yeah, yeah. 4 quid, I'll happily watch that, 4 quid. I also, same thing, I bought Savages because I saw it for 4 quid. And so I thought, do you know what? Yeah, I want to watch that again. Fuck with. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. That was. I don't know. We actually taking more time on that than I thought we were well, going to. I, but yeah, Robocop. It's great. I, I, I'm <laughs> going to spend literally um, two minutes talking about my one old. Uh, 
I, I only really watched one up one all um uh well that, that's worth talking about i i re-watched um i started sorry re-watching the hunt for red october um and i actually started watching it last monday uh, and i still haven't finished it uh i will at some point but it, it's a lot more boring than i remember it being um I like the hunt. I actually I, watched that for the first time about a week and a half ago. I like the hunt for Red Oxford. I remember really liking it, but um, I'm about half an hour from the end, and I don't know that I'm, I'm bored by it, but it's just I don't remember. Oh my, my! The remembrance that I've got from it, which is VHS remembering, um, sure, didn't remember Sean Connery being quite as bad as he is in it. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, everyone else, I've kind of, I've liked, but anytime Sean Connery comes on screen, my brain just goes, "Oh no, not again! Please, not again, Sean!" Because he's, it, it, it's, he's really bad in it. So, so the one I, I'm going to talk about, uh, it's not even that old, uh, but it is a rewatch. Um, I rewatched um, what the hell's bullets to the head, which of course we covered around about a year ago on the. Yeah, yeah, podcast. it was maybe like fifty-one weeks ago. Yeah, um, which you know, and it was it was part of a triple bill um, of you know of the the planet Hollywood actors, um, where we had a Schwarzenegger film, a Stallone film, and then a Bruce Willis film, all within like a three or four week period. I think we got them. Um, and we, we both kind of we quite liked Bullets to the Head but I, I think after we watched all three of them we kind of said that it was probably, you know, if you were to grade the one, two and three, it would probably be number three out of the three I think we both said that and I remember this completely wrong uh, I, maybe, I don't know I don't know if, I, I think I maybe prefer this to A Good Day to Die Hard well, right I sort of, because I've watched a good day that I had um, since I watched it at the cinema, um, and I've watched Last Stand a couple of times since I watched it at the cinema, and I still quite like them both. I still really, you know, Last Stand gets better, got better on the the second and third watch, um, and A Good Day to Die Hard kind of it, it went down a little bit. Um, Bullets the Head got a lot better uh, in the second yeah. watch, a lot better. A few of the things that, that bothered me about it in the, the, the first time round um, just simply weren't there. Um, or because they were as jarring. The fact that, it, that this film is a 1993 film that happened to be made in you know 2000 and released in 2013. Um, that wasn't as jarring. It's some of the, the clunky one-liners, they felt better the second time round. They felt more organic, like it was part of the film. The whole story of the film kind of made more sense, you know. I, I love the fact that Jason Momoa's character, it, it just, he's not after money or anything like that. He just, he just seems to be enjoying himself in carnage, and he enjoys what he's doing. Um, the whole, um, you know, buddy cop kind of mentality worked better. Uh, Christian Slater's character felt a lot sleazier. The whole thing, I sat down and watched it because I was in on my own and I thought, I want to watch something that I can just watch and I can just let waft over me. I can sit with... I, I've developed a bit of an addiction to the um, butter kissed, uh salted and sweet um, popcorn that all comes in one bag. Um, I tried it and thought, 
salted and sweet popcorn in the same bag. That's wrong. Uh, tried it and was like, this is amazing. This is like, this is one of the greatest things that's happened to food ever. Uh, and so I, I, I'm literally going through like four bags a week at the moment. So that's how I watch Bullet to the Head with a large glass of, um, of uh, um, iced tea and a, a, a large bowl of popcorn. Um, and then just powered through that. I got to the end and it was like, that's a fucking great movie. And honestly, the second time round, it just, it all fit and it all worked brilliantly for me. Uh, and I enjoyed the first time round, but the second time round, I was like, yep, that's that's going into my Walter Hill, I'll watch it at least once a year sort of repertoire, along with 4 Hours and Streets of Fire and Warriors and Southern Comfort. Fair play. Yeah. Nice. Ollie, Ollie, when you get time to go around to watch it a second time, it, it's just it it made so much more sense. And I like I said, I did enjoy it the first time around. Very cool. Cool. Right. Um, well, we're going to get into the next instalment of our um, Michael Trimino thon uh, with the uh, notorious um, and epic Heaven's Gate. Uh, here is a trailer, uh, and then we shall get into it. I'm getting a beer for that. It has been called the most controversial motion picture of its time. It is the most talked about and written about film of the decade. Now, from the director of The Deer Hunter, United Artists presents... Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. The story of Jim Averill. He was born into the world of the rich and powerful, but his heart and dreams were with the people. Heaven's Gate. The story of a man's love for a woman, for a people, for a land, for a spirit that would never die. Chris Christopherson in Michael Cimino's Heaven's Gate. Right, you just heard the trailer for um, the 1980 film uh, Heaven's Gate, uh, a film which is famous for being one of the biggest ever box office bombs and the film that nearly destroys United Artists um, Studios. Uh, it is very loosely based on the Johnson County War. It takes the idea of the Johnson County War and completely changes the whole kind of history of it. Uh, but it never claims that it is based on a true story. Um, stars uh, Chris Christopherson, Christopher Walken, Isabel Hooper, uh, Jeff Bridges. You've got John Hurt in there, Brad Dourif, uh, Jeffrey Lewis, uh, Mickey Rock, and a blinking you'll miss him, Willem Dafoe. Uh, idea is you've got a wealthy um, uh, group of wealthy uh, landowners uh, known as the Wyoming Stock Growers Association uh, who in Johnson County are tired of uh, new settlers that are often of uh, Polish and Russian descent. Um, They're a right bunch of us. Yes. Um, stealing uh, their cattle for food. So they come up with what's called a death list of 125 names of people who they suspect of either um, stealing or benefiting from the stealing of these uh, cattle. Uh, 
Jim Avery, who used to be uh, a member of the uh, Stock Road Association, is now uh, a lawman within uh, Johnson County and is sticking up for the residents along with Jeff Bridges. Uh, it is an almighty epic of a film uh, which clocks in at 216 minutes. And Ian, what did you think of Heaven's Gate? Um, Heaven's Gate, yeah. It's uh, long, yeah. obviously. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's a film of real kind of highs and lows, I think. And the highs what there are of them make it worth the runtime marginally, I think. Um, however, it is a film that I think the indulgence and the ego and the hubris of Chimino at this point in his career is absolutely on screen. And... I this I mean this this cut of Heaven's Gate, it's so just indulgent and packed full of stuff, and I mean a lot of the imagery is sublime, but when you've got a film this long, you need to be able to justify the length, and frankly, there are entire characters that I'd be okay with cutting out and pretty much every single scene could have been at least two thirds shorter. <laughs> um, I, 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 but I, I certainly did not hate Heaven's Gate. I certainly did not hate it. And I'm quite a fan of just how single-mindedly depressing the last 20 minutes of the film are. But, it, I, there, oh God, there's a lot of problems with it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to those in a second. Um, was this your first time watching any incarnation of Heaven's Gates? Indeed. Yeah, uh, it's the... I've seen the... Uh, years and years ago, I saw the two-and-a-half-hour version uh, of, of the film. Uh, and what I'll say is this uh, near-four-hour version makes a lot more sense than how I remember that making. But then again, I was 15 when I watched it. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the things that this film is saying, um, you know, wouldn't make sense to a 15-year-old. So um, there is that. It is... It is incredibly indulgent. This is a man whose ego has taken control of, of him. And, you know, there's, there's so much. He's throwing so much out there. Uh, it is amazing how much of it actually sticks. I think it helps the fact that he's got a cast who clearly believe that in his vision and what he's trying to do and are very much aware of it. And I think that there's, there is enough... There's enough story um, to warrant a long runtime, uh, but I accept the fact that there is you could quite easily have have shaved uh, a lot of that runtime 
and still got the same story out there and it still had the same impact. But in saying that, I do like a fucking epic movie and this, it, it, it feels huge and it has all these, these moments in it that are magnificent and, you know, the, like you say, the highs when it really gets there are incredibly high. Uh, it, it does make it worth it for some of the lulls that the film has. Um what were the, the issues, the key issues that you kind of have with it, Ian? I mean, yeah, I mean, my biggest issue with the film is, frankly, I didn't really care too much about Chris Christopherson's um, character. And I certainly didn't care about his relationship with Isabel Huppert's. Mm. Um by the end of the film, I felt that if the film was more about Christopher Walken's character yeah. and his kind of realisation that, you know, that the, the, this association are morally in the wrong and then he picks up from that, I think it would have been an awful, awful, awful lot more interesting. Um... And would have seen me through the course of it, I think. The thing is, this it, to me, this feels like Chimino wanting to do an old-fashioned epic with, like, big, big production values and, you know, a big romance at the centre of it. But when this romance basically comes down to this woman can't decide which one of these men she wants to be with so she's going to kind of me- mess them about mm. and, and Chris Christopherson is just going to follow her around like a fucking lost puppy I, I, I just I, I'm not that bothered and you know the the, se- the, the, the the kind of the sequences of them kind of like together and you know when they they're, they're dancing in that hall it, it just when you've already seen people dancing in that hall for about <laughs> 45 minutes before he loves a party doesn't he yeah yeah i mean it just the thing is with the deer hunter like the first act of the film which is you know getting ready for the wedding and then the wedding day that feels like that's there to get you into this world and get you into this headspace and give you time with these characters Mm. where whereas with heaven's gate it just kind of feels like Chimino wanking at how beautifully he put committed. this all together and how big it is. Well, I will say, and quick on. So, sorry, I was just going to say, and how big moments of it are is fantastic. The climax, that, that I mean, the, the the battle, like where you've just got the wide shots of like just hundreds of like horses mm. and carts and whatnot just riding around in circles and shooting at each other and just the way that you've got these shots that are right in the shit and they're just these long flowing shots with just extras all over the place. And they're glorious. It's, it's an incredibly accomplished piece of, of, of directing in terms of visually. But, um, I mean, it's interesting what, you, what you're saying there about the fact that uh, you don't really care about... Um, Christopher Chris Reynolds' um, character, things like that. It, it, is, it does kind of start to dawn me a little bit uh, with you saying that, that this is a, a near four-hour movie, 
and there's not an awful lot of character development in it. You don't. There's feel... Bogle. He is he is the stoic lawman whose only weakness is wanting the love of this woman mm. who who happens you know, to uh, who happens to be in a somewhat questionable profession. Yeah. Exactly. There's nothing to Christopherson's character, and his performance is fun. Mm, but I, I struggle to recall anything that he really does. Whereas Walken, mm. his character has an arc, and the end. I mean, the imagery of him, like with the the, the house burning uh, behind him, and him getting riddled with bullets. Yeah, it's... that's tragic shit. Yeah, I mean, it's. One thing I will say about that, though, is it is the worst fake bruise on the side of his face I've seen in cinema. <laughs> it's a terrible fake bruise. But yeah, it's a, his character, there's there's more in that character than there is in what is perceived to be the film's lead character. Also, there's more in uh, Isabel Huppert's um, character than there is in Chris Christopherson's character. But then again, are we, are we now boiling down to the fact that Chris Christopherson is a very, is, is a good actor. He is a good actor. But Christopher Walken, Isabel Lupez, and uh, Jeff Bridges, to an extent, are, yeah, totally. are, are they're a level above uh, Chris Christopherson, and that's not a criticism of him. But they are they are an upper class of of actor than, than he is, and maybe that's why their characters seem to have uh, more to them um, than than he does, and they their their performances seem to come more to life, and their characters seem to have more weight towards them and they're the ones that you you more are drawn to than, than, than Christopherson to an extent you know you don't really he doesn't seem to um, he, he seems to have a, a, a moral um, kind of conflict with what the association doing and sees it as being wrong and that what yeah. they're doing is wrong but he doesn't seem like he wants to rock the boat enough with them to take them on. Like he could have, he could maybe have done more to to stop it earlier in motion, and it ends up that he has to take quite drastic action towards the end. And yeah. he, he seems very accepting of of, of what's happening. Uh, and it's, yes, yeah. You've got John Hurt's character who seems to disagree with it. But just seems to want to just just seems to go along with it quite easily. Yeah, I mean, again, his character, it just there's nothing really much to him, uh, you know. The the it, it just the the way that he kind of disappeared, like he's killed off out of the film, and that's it. It didn't really feel like there was much point to that, even though like the imagery. I mean, like the the end of the first half before the intermission. That fucking shot where he's like, "Who are we?" and then the smoke comes up and then he disappears. Yeah, it's fucked up. I mean, like it makes no sense, but, it but looks, it's an amazing shot. It looks incredible. And there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of that within within this. I mean, at the core of it, you've got a similar kind of core as you've got within uh, Deer Hunter, where you've got this kind of love triangle is the central kind of feel to it. Uh, and this much more is uh, much more of a love triangle, uh, whereas the deer hunter is it, it's there, but it, it's not as uh, as prevalent as it is here, certainly. Right. Um, but it's 
it does look gorgeous. Yeah, I mean that. that I mean that, that. That is the highlight of of the film for me. Is the I mean, Vilmos Sigmund's cinematography is stunning. You know, I mean, it, it's absolutely gorgeous, and it feels entirely. I mean, it just feels of the time, but it's luminous, and um, it feels I don't know. It, it, yeah, and it, it makes very, mm. very violent, disturbing imagery beautiful. Mm. You know, and and I, I mean that's quite an achievement you know and i mean i i i, I it just it doesn't it, it it just it it doesn't all work but it never was gonna all work when you've got this story with this focus and this runtime it just it and, can't work. And, and and the budget it you know it, it it had i mean what was the original budget three million dollars and it ended up costing you know into the 40 million dollars um you know the the craziness of some of the the things that Jimino spent on it. You know, ordering sets to be completely remade because he didn't like where, where they were positioned, um, and you know, decided the grass wasn't green enough, so installing a full um, irrigation system in to make sure the grass was greener, uh, and, and crazy things like this, and you know, the obsession with authenticity of. Um, the you know the the sets and the costumes etc. Um, you've got another great score again from uh, David Mansfield. Feels very much as an accomplished uh, as an accompaniment to the the, the Day Hunter um, score. And you know David Mansfield is a character within the the film as well, which is interesting. Oh, is he the um, uh, is he a band member? He's the fiddle player. Yeah, the Philippines. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. one of the band members as well is T Bone Burnett. Really? Yeah, yeah, he's one of the band members. I know it's that in the credits that T Bone Burnett is one of the uh, band members. Oh, that's great. Yeah, which is, which is uh, strange. Um, but it's. It, 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 let's be honest, it's got a great villain. Oh, Sam Waterston is fantastic. He's like, he's a, so fucking slimy. He's such a bastard. Yeah, you know when um, Crystal Walken calls him on the um, "You've never killed anybody," and he, he to, to prove a point, he goes out and kills somebody, uh, and then seems to really seems to it, it's almost like um, like he did that and went, "Oh man, I've got such a boner right now," and was like, yeah, "I want yeah, yeah, more yeah. of this," and then when when he seems to when essentially. When shit gets a little bit too real for him, he's like, "I'm gonna go now. I'm gonna go and get help." And you're thinking, "Is he going to get help, or is he, is he has he just pissed off?" And essentially, that, he's gone crying to bigger boys. The cavalry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that the I've got I can't state enough how entertaining I found the last twenty minutes perversely, just because. I imagine cinema audiences when this film came out that people were sat in the cinema for three and a quarter hours and the, and then well no they wouldn't have been because it was too, it was the theatrical cut but I don't know just the idea of like the studio even like watching this cut and they get into the last twenty minutes and then the cavalry coming in and then like fucking Chris Christopherson over 
and then the really really slow uh playing of the of the um what's it the blue danu yeah yeah you know like which is just like what the fuck and then like basically everybody dies yeah <laughs> i mean the last scene is fantastic like the way that you know, it, it's that girl that he was dancing with at the start, mm. and it's like he's just given in, and he's set, he's in this life where both of them look miserable as fuck. Uh, and it I, was was the insinuation that he was basically going up to fucking chuck himself off the boat. Yeah, well, it's there's a kind of insinuation there that that. Him going to Wyoming was him running away from that life that he had. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then he'd gone back to it. And, you know, it, it was, you know, he went back to being a wealthy man. And he was he okay. was just miserable in, in that. And, you know, that uh, Ella was everything that that woman could never be because of... Yeah. You know, at the time, uh, breeding essentially. You know, Ella was this this free kind of spirit, and you know, Isabel Hooper is is incredible in this movie. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I mean she's, she's incredible in everything. Let's be honest. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, she's yeah, she is she is pretty great. I just I I love how quiet and still and just what the fuck the 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 ending of of, of that, that, what, that of the ending of this film is. I, I thought it was quite a special final scene, uh, you know, and it was kind of everything the rest of the film wasn't, where it was just kind of like, it was dialed down and it was contemplative and it wasn't saying, look at these visuals, look at these visuals, look at these visuals. It was just, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I just really like that. Yeah, it was. I mean, right, uh, not got much else to say on it other than... Uh... I'll be honest, I could watch Isabel Hooper frolic, frolic around naked for 20 minutes all day long. Sure. Um, so, are you... I'm guessing you're, like me, it, it's definitely not shit. It's it's a long it, it, watch. <laughs> it's too pretty, and there are performances in it that are too good for it to be shit. But it's... Not amazing. I I adore Heaven's Gate. I'll be honest, I absolutely adore it. Um, and even though it's nearly four hours long, it, I, I could see me watching it again by the end of this year. And, and no way. <laughs> and um, what I'll say is the um, Second Sight Blu-ray for it looks incredible and sounds amazing. The sound. I, it's the it's the same as the um, Criterion, is it not? I think yeah. they they license the same transfer. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, it is like I say, it sounds incredible, um, and it, it, it just it looks stunning. So if if you've not seen it and you're wanting to see it, or you you're wanting to sort of look at investing in it, um, the second sight is well worth buying. Very nice. Cool. Uh, right. Um, so, um, Twitter questions. I think we've got a couple. I think. Let me just get. Yeah, I believe we do. I don't have them up myself. Do you, I'm, I'm do gonna, you want me to get I'm them? I'm going to get them now. Okay. 
したものは。えー、でね。Uh, we've, got, we've got two from Chris Brown, but he, 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 he in, you know, usually we, we do limit it to one a time, but uh, we're not going to. So,、uh, <laughs> uh, he sent one in a few days ago saying, if you could live in the world of any film, what film would it be? Probably Streets of Fire, you know. Yeah, that's a good one, that one. That'd be great. Yeah. Either that or、um, down the、um, down the cul de sac in the burbs. I, I, I just, that's a very good I, one. I, I, I just imagine that what we saw in the burbs was, was not like an isolated incident. Like shit like that happened fairly often. Yeah, that would be good.、Um, Tom、uh, at Very Cinematic.、Uh, it's less than 365 days until the year 2015. Ian and Matt, my question is this Where's my fucking hoverboard? I didn't realise I was a representative of Mattel.、Uh, I, I still think、uh, that, in the same way as the electric car has been held back, I think that、um, the big oil firms are holding back the hoverboard from you, Tom.、Um, So, until、uh, we start to run out of fossil fuels, which will happen,、uh, I still don't think you're going to get your hoverboard, buddy. Sorry.、Uh, but, you know, fingers crossed.、Um, um, Chris Byrne again、uh, at Cinematronics.、Um, you'll probably already、uh, mention this anyway, which we haven't because I was saving this question.、Uh, but what's your favourite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance? Which, of course, is in relation to the fact that、uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman was tragically、um, found dead in his apartment on Sunday.、Um, which the fucking. 50 bags of heroin in his apartment. I know.、Um, it's a terrible, terrible loss of cinema、um, for someone to die in the. you know, Not only in the cinema, but obviously, you know, to his, his partner and, he, and his, his children, you know, to a much larger extent than it is a loss of cinema, it's a loss to them. Um, but, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of those actors where nobody at all could ever question his, his talent. You know? And, like, yeah, I mean, no one ever has、no. either. Like, from his earliest work, he just. No one's ever said Philip Seymour Hoffman was shit. No. He, he's, he's consistently. Delivered、um, both as a,、um, a foil or a, a bit part character, you know, down to a comedic foil,、uh, going right up to kind of actually being, you know, front and centre in films. He, he ticked every single box、uh, and did it with absolute accomplishment on every single level.、Um, a phenomenally talented actor. Yeah, no,、um, absolutely. Because、um, I can't narrow it down to one.、Um, Favourite three Philip Seymour Hoffman performances? I'm not going to look here. He's fucking brilliant in Talented Mr. Ripley. He is incredible. In that. I, I watched that film、uh, only a few weeks ago.、Um, and he is so, so good in that.、Um, I mean, my. 
three are probably going to be Boogie Nights just because, it, again, he in, in a, a film that has so many great performances, I think his is one that, that always stands out for me as that was him. You know, he'd been in films for sort of 10 years leading up to that, but it was him announcing and going, you know, it was the first film where people really went, God, he's good. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, 25th Hour. 25th Hour is great. I'm even going to throw in um, Mission Impossible 3. Sure. He takes a generic villain role and actually makes it a really powerful performance. You know, you you get the feeling like he... that he was the one character ever in a, a, you know, a Mission Impossible film that got one over on Ethan Hunt. Yeah. Um, and that is it, a great performance in what could have been a very generic performance. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. absolutely. His performance in Savage, uh, The Savages, not Savages, The Savages, um, with Laura Linney is a great performance. Yeah. Uh, Happiness is marvellous. Uh, doubt. Doubt, yeah. He's fucking amazing okay. in Doubt. Yeah, um... What's the shit? What's the one he made where, with Ethan Hawke? Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We could literally sit here and just list all of his films and just go, he was great in that. He was great in that. He's great in, in a terrible movie like Long Game Polly. He's, he makes it worth watching just for his ridiculousness of his character. He was the best thing in the boat that rocked. Yeah. You know, um, he just wonderful actor, and you know, yeah, you know, he's, there's there's a few films still to come out with him in, and it, it it's comforting, you know, in a way to know that, you know, they're not gonna, they're gonna be great because he's never not been great in anything. Mm. I mean, like he was really, really solid in Catching Fire, the uh, the Hunger Games, like very, very good in that, and I'm looking forward to seeing. Where, where he goes with the um, the the last two. Apparently, he had like a week left to shoot on on them, and all his shooting on the the first part had been completed. So it looks like they'll be able to actually get away with like not having to recast him, which is nice. Yeah, you know. But um, yeah, and uh, and I mean, I suppose other people would say it, but the master. I mean, he's. I I wasn't a massive fan of the master, but I mean, he was a bit of a force of nature in that. Yeah, it's. Like I say there's you know we we've basically almost mentioned his, his entire CV there and you know there's not there's not a single one where you go well maybe that one was maybe you know you know Big Lebowski he's brilliant in that you know mm-hmm. he, the, the great thing about him is, is it's easy to forget he was in movies because in some movies because the fact that he is very much a character actor you know Red Dragon mm. he's slimy as fucking that. Oh God, yeah, yeah, he's um, uh, Freddy, the reporter, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, no, totally. Um, so yeah, it's um, an absolutely tragic loss to uh, to cinema. That um, just fucking horrible news. That yeah, it's it's a it's a genuinely like painful loss to, to yeah, I mean to film. You know, it just it's. It's difficult as well because I mean, like he obviously 
he obviously must have had an awful, awful lot of personal issues, issues, you know, and and bat- battles with 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 drugs. But it's amazing that he just never did it. Or did that on screen? I mean, like in interviews and stuff, he's always been quite intense. Mm. But it, it's. I, I don't know. It's yeah. Well, it's, it's, it is really really sad. You know, to battle that clearly that strong addiction for that amount of time, there's no, there's never been a single story, and there's no director ever come out and said, you know, it was an issue on set. You know, his drug addiction was a problem or anything well, well, like they, that. They do say with heroin, like if you have the money and if you can yeah. administer it well enough, you can you you can be you can function perfectly well while being addicted to heroin. Yeah, and, you know, and he, you know, it, it is one of those things where addiction and drug addiction of that level, it, it can happen to anybody. Yeah, it's not, it's not something that is, you know, it's not a poor man's disease. I suppose is the way that I'm. No, quite. No, I mean, there's, there's no point being, there's no point being pious about it. And I mean, it, it, it just. It, it, it sounds like I mean obviously we're speculating, but it sounds like it was misadventure. Mm. You know, like it it, do, it doesn't appear that he was doing it on purpose or anything like that. And it just, it yeah, he just seemed to take it one step step too far. Mm. It seems, and it, it's just a horrible, horrible fucking end. But shit, we've got an awful lot of amazing performances by him, and yeah, just really fucking sad. Yeah. Uh, so on that slightly sombre note, uh, Ian, what are we covering uh, next week? Uh, Robocop. Robocop. And what what's the Chimino of fun? Uh, the I would say just based on the fact that pretty much after uh, after this film, uh, he's not done that much, and a lot of it was shite. Uh, I'd say we do uh, either. Year of the Dragon or the Sicilian, and then move on to our next one from there. I'd say. Okay, let's have a look. Alright, the Sicilian sounds all right, but what's Year of the Dragon? Yeah, no, I want to do Year of the Dragon. Yeah, good because Sicilian shit. Okay, cool. <laughs> Yeah. Is that the Year of the Dragon or Sun Chaser, which is a 1996 film? No, I want to do Year of the Dragon. Well, Year of the Dragon is actually, I remember it being not too bad, but then again, I reserved judgment until I've watched it again. And Oliver Stone co wrote the screenplay. Alright, oh, yeah. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, let's do that. Cool, so we're going to do uh, Year of the Dragon um, to wrap up our uh, Trimino a thon. Um, and we'll, we'll also um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of discuss what we're going to do next for our next marathon. Nice. Cool. Uh, anything else to add, Ian? Nah, man. Uh, good show. I uh, hope people enjoyed it. And, um, yeah. Cool. See you later. Cool. Thanks, uh, get your questions in at any point during the week uh, or any feedback or anything like that. It's always great to hear from you. And it's always great to hear that you are enjoying the show. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, and we'll be back again next week. Bye. Cool.